It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. So, the Mets did win three out of four against the Washington Nationals. That's good. It's also an afterthought, but we talk a little bit about these games, the latest on the trade deadline on this edition of Rico Bronia. Uh, the Mets do win on Sunday afternoon against Washington after what was a shaky beginning to the game. Verlander can't make the play on a comebacker, turns into an infield hit. Jaimir Candelario gets a base hit. The Nationals steal a run with an obvious double steal. Omar Narvaez dumbly throws to second base, and the Nationals take an early one nothing lead. The Met offense responds in the bottom of the first inning. Pete Alonso, who has definitely gotten hot, delivers an RBI single, and the Mets end up having a, a decent offensive day. They score three runs in the third inning, get back-to-back extra base hits from Lindor and McNeil, another RBI from Pete Alonso. They get a home run from Francisco Lindor, and the Mets hold on. They beat the Nationals 5-2. to two. What was interesting, and I'm not sure how long this is going to last, is the bullpen. Because without David Robertson, and presumably without, I would guess, Adam Adovino, now, I mentioned this on the last Rico. I am not in a rush to trade Brooks Raley because he's a key piece of this bullpen next year. So I'm not rushing to deal him unless I'm getting some great deal back. But how are the Mets going to handle their bullpen now without having an obvious reliever you trust at the back end of games in David Robertson? And what they did on Sunday is they squeezed as much as they could out of Justin Verlander. He pitched into the sixth inning. He threw over 100 pitches. After he gives up that one-out hit to Kiebert Ruiz and the pitch counts over 100, Buck decides, let me go David Peterson. Let me challenge David Peterson, even though it's 5-1 to one at that point. And I thought Peterson overall was really good because not only does he get a big double play with a runner on first and one out, but even after Brandon Nimmo flat-out drops a ball in center field and he promptly gives up an RBI single, that was the moment where the Nationals could have come back in this game. And this could have turned into a disaster. This could have turned into the exclamation point on this awful season blowing a game on Sunday with a five to one lead after making all these trades uh it just would have been another kick in the balls and instead David Peterson to his credit gets a six four three double play against Alex Call gets an out in the eighth inning and the Met bullpens pieced together well Adam Adovino gets two big outs in the eighth and then Brooks Raley gets the final three in the ninth inning I do think Adovino is probably a guy that gets moved, mainly because there's a chance he's a free agent at the end of the season. There is a player option for Adam Adovino. And again, this is the way I'm viewing these trades over the next 48 hours. I am viewing them in terms of, yeah, what can I get back? But also, can that guy help me next year? So when this game ended and the Mets beat the Nationals, Billy Epler met the media, and I heard what he had to say, which is a lot better than reading transcripts because I – I have certainly learned over the years, and even with Max from the other night, transcripts are black and white. Kind of want to hear how a guy says things. So Billy Epler, I thought basically told us the game plan. I think he laid it all out. We are going to see what we can get in terms of rebuilding this farm system, and Steve Cohen is committed to spending to make that happen. So if it means picking up a big part of Max Scherzer's contract like they did on Saturday night, Sure, we'll do that, but we are not, and this is a direct quote, Pete. I want you to make a t-shirt. We are not punting 2024. That was the line. Now, you may think he's a liar, or you may think he'll be unemployed next year, so who cares what he says, but I do believe that the organizational philosophy, and it'll have to be backed up with action, and I believe it will, 
is that they are not making these trades to punt 2024. And if that's the case, you make your job more difficult on building in 2024 if you take away pieces that can help you in 2024. So I've made peace with the Max Scherzer trade, but to deal Justin Verlander, walk me through how the Mets are going to replenish this rotation if now you're trying to replace both Scherzer and Verlander. That's a problem, and that's why they can't trade him. No, I, I get it. I, I understand the big picture scenario of 2024 is, is going to be a competitive year, which we've talked about. It should be. Honestly, I mean, it's the, the payroll being, again, we think that the payroll is going to be higher than it was this year. Correct? I think it's going to be on that same plateau. I mean, is it going to be a few dollars higher? I'm not sure because the reason I hesitate on that, Pete, let me explain why. I don't know if they're going to invest in position players. They have Escobar coming off the books. They have Canna coming off the books. They have Robbie Cano coming off the books. I think they're still paying James McCann a little bit, so he's still being paid. But they could conceivably look at the core of young players they have and say, we're not really adding position players. So you may replace the funds for those position players by adding on to the rotation with arms. So when you ask me, are they going to have a higher payroll than this season? It may not be higher, but it's going to be really high. Is that a fair answer? Yes, but on the other hand, too, I also look at the big picture as well. Like you talked about, you know, got rid of Robertson. Obviously, Edwin Diaz is going to be back next year. You trade out of Eno, Brooks Raley, you keep. But if we look through up and down this bullpen, that was one of the worst parts about this team as well. So yes. you have to invest money into that on top of it. So it's it's bullpen and starting pitching. But that's why, Pete, trading Brooks Raley, and again, I, what you get back matters. So I hate making the blanket statement of I don't want to trade Brooks Raley or I don't want to trade Justin Verlander. There are obviously trades out there that you would say, wow, you got to make that deal. Wow, that's such a crazy return. I'll deal with the other issues that are created. That's such a good return. I'll make that trade. So whenever I say I prefer not to trade a guy, please keep that in the back of your mind. It's not a blanket 1,000% statement because it would be foolish to think that way. And I don't think that way. But to your point about building a bullpen next year, you make it more difficult if you're looking for even more pieces to build your pen. Right now, Edwin Diaz is a part of the 2024 New York Met bullpen. You are looking for other controllable pieces that are going to prove kind of points over the next few months where you say, okay, I want to go next year with this guy in my bullpen. I'll get to it a little bit later. That's what I want to see from David Peterson. I am not in a rush to put David Peterson back in the rotation. Maybe the Mets are. We'll see what they decide to do. I want to test him out of the bullpen. I want to challenge him. I want to see if David Peterson could become a big piece out of the bullpen in 2024. I know everybody hates the guy already, but Trevor Gott is a guy who's sort of auditioning for next season. So there are going to be some auditions, but I don't want to make the job more difficult by subtracting a piece like Raley, who would actually be a very good piece of the 2024 New York Met bullpen. So when you make these trades over the next 48 hours, I'm thinking of a few things. I'm thinking of what the return is, but I'm also thinking of how do I replace that guy? So they've traded Max Scherzer. They got a return that I'm starting to get excited about. How can you not? especially an athletic kid like that who could steal 50, 60 bases, that's tremendous. Like, I'm starting to think of, wow, Acuna could be a part of the Mets in 2024. He could be the center fielder of the future. But now you have to replace Max Scherzer. 
If you trade Verlander, and we'll get to Verlander's comments because I heard those two, so I heard the tone of his voice, to replace Verlander and Scherzer, where you would be going, assuming the return on Verlander is not a ready rotation piece, assuming that's not coming back, you're looking at next year starting off with just Kodai Senga and Jose Quintana. That's it. Like I don't think there's anybody else even some of the young kids that are emerging, like Mike Vassell, who you could put in pen in this rotation, you can't put any of those guys in pen. There are pieces that you can think of impacting them in 2024, but you can't write that in permanent ink. Which means if you trade Verlander and you're not returning a ready rotation piece, you need to sign at minimum three arms or acquire three arms. And that's damn expensive. On top of the money you're spending to say goodbye to Verlander and Scherzer. And by the way, the guys are probably not as good as a 40-year-old Justin Verlander. Yeah, but not for nothing. This has been the, their MO for the past two seasons. Like, think about it. They've done that's exactly what they did. They got Chris Bassett. They got Max Scherzer. This is last year. They got those two. Um, was Walker still on the team, I think, already at that point in time? But yeah. And then this year they had to do the same thing. They had the they got Katana, they got Sanga, they got Verlander. I mean, this has been the mo of the uh, of the Mets so far. And Billy, but Edler. it's tough, dude. It's tough to build a rotation every year when you're starting. And I think it would be more difficult this offseason if you're only starting with the pieces of Sanga and Katana to build around. You know, I'd like to go into the offseason because as of right now, assuming they keep Justin Verlander. I think that number of starting pitches you have to add is two as opposed to three. And that's a significant difference. And I'm also looking at the quality. Like the quality of what you're going to replace them with is what? We've gone through some of the free agents, some of the possible acquisitions. It's asking a lot. So if the return on Verlander is enormous and you can't turn away from it, okay, it's a different discussion. I'm not sure that's what the return is going to be. Now, I do raise my hand now. And admit, Pete, I don't know what the return is going to be because I was genuinely surprised that they were able to get as much back for Max Scherzer as they did. So is it possible that there is a team, maybe it's the Houston Astros bringing them home, that returns something so valuable to the Mets that, all right, fine, go buy three starting pitchers next year. Sure. As far as what Verlander said, I think Verlander basically said the same thing Max Scherzer said, except in a less douchey way. That's how I would view it because Verlander A went out of his way to talk about the fans and he went out of his way to say, I really don't know what I want. I got to kind of talk to ownership. He didn't sound mad about it. He sounded surprised. And I thought Verlander made a very clear point, which is I want to win next year. And if the message is, hey, we're going to spend big to win next year, I'm good with being here. If, and I certainly hope the Mets aren't giving him a message of, nah, we're, well, we ain't interested in winning in 2024 because that's not something I think. That's not something a lot of Med fans think. That'd be a terrible message. I, I also think the point Verlander made was, I need to know what my options are, which I think has nothing to do with the Mets and has more to do with, I may want to go here, but I may not want to go there. If he's presented the chance to go back to Houston, I think we'd all assume that's a no-brainer. He's going to say yes to that. If he's presented a chance to go to... Cincinnati, he may say no. He may. It's nothing against Cincinnati, but I think Verlander made clear that he wants to know what the opportunities are. We don't know what teams would trade for him. That is a big factor here. 
But Verlander absolutely opened the door to waiving his no trade clause. There, there's no question about that. No, and, and, but just a question because what do you think that they will say to Verlander to make him think differently of what Scherzer basically said? Said, yes, I'll waive my no trade clause. Get me out of here. Because Scherzer would have been here too, and they'd both be competing for 2024. Well, I, it's possible the Mets never actually met with Max Scherzer. It's possible they never said anything to him. They just literally made a deal with Texas and called up Scott Boris and said, hey, he wants out. We got a deal ready to go with Texas. And there may not have been full conversations about here's what our plans are for the future. I, I think we assume that there was until Max Scherzer says there was or Billy Epler says there was. There's no guarantee that happened. He could have just been presented with a trade with a, hey, do you want to prove this or not? I would hope that if there is any discussion, Billy Epler or Steve Cohen would follow what we have all surmised, which is, and basically what Billy alluded to when he met the media on Sunday, which is we're trying to replenish the farm system. We're using our financial might to do it, but we are not sitting around not trying to win next year. And Billy has much said that. That's why I think the Met plan is actually crystal clear. If anyone tells you, I don't think the Mets have a plan, that's not true. The Mets have said, now, obviously, this plan has gone different than we all expected because of the way this team has gone and their record and the fact they're trading guys off, but they have always been consistent about, we want to build the farm system, and in the meantime, we're going to use our financial might to compete. The variation right now is they're using their financial might to make contracts that no one else would take delectable enough to take prospects back. And then next year, they're going to do the same thing. Because you can't say if you're Billy Epler, we are not punting next year, we are trying to win next year, and not go out and acquire pitching next year. Because they're not bringing pitching back now. So if I'm taking Epler and Cohen when he has met the media at their word, and I am, I've got no reason to call them liars, then they're using the financial might now to build the system, which they are. The farm system is better today than it was five days ago. And then next year during the offseason, they're going to buy more pitching. We will all debate on which pitchers we want. And those are fun debates. I want this. You want that. You like this. I like that. But I do think that that's the road they're going down. And I just think it makes it a more difficult road when you need to sign even more arms. I also think with Verlander, and we saw this on Sunday against Washington, he's still good. Uh, granted, we want more than five and a third innings, obviously. But if you look at the way he's pitched over his last handful of starts, he's been very, very good. And while he's come up small in some big spots, certainly not against the Yankees. He's pitched well against the Yankees both times. But really, the game against Atlanta jumps out at us a while back. We have less proof that Verlander is going to choke for us the way Max did. We do. I think the Mets' avenue to competing next year is easier if Justin Verlander is on this team. The caveat to all this, if the return is so enormous, obviously you got to reconsider. And Billy Epler sort of did that in this press conference. When asked about, okay, what's next? He said, we're asking for a lot. And I like that. See, I'll compliment Billy Epler. I like that. I like him basically saying publicly, we're not giving guys away. We want a lot back. There are certain guys, push comes to shove, 6 o'clock Tuesday, you better deal. Tommy Pham's played his last game as a Met. And no offense to Tommy, Tommy's played well. 
Tommy Pham reminds me of other Mets who have been here for a short period of time, played well, and then you max out on what you got from them. Marlon Bird was like that. Remember Marlon Bird? They had him for a short period. He played well. No one thinks back to Marlon Bird in any kind of negative way, even though didn't he get busted for uh, PEDs, I think, soon after? Uh, I thought he got it before. with And after. Both. Oh. (laughs) Not my problem. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So I don't have any negative feeling towards Tommy Pham, but he needs to be traded. Mark Hanna probably needs to be traded. I I hope Carrasco has value, but my God, he he has been so bad in his last two starts. Saturday was a joke. And granted, the game did not start off well. First play of the game, he gets a ground ball to third base, and Mark Vientos can make a throw to first. And he did give up an infield hit to Candelario right after that. Mendick made a pretty good play. But then he's given up three straight hits. He's given up a sacrifice fly. And then down 4 nothing. My thought is, okay, at least settle down. And he can't even do that. Gives up the RBI double to Candelario. Gives up the two-run double to Riley Adams in the third inning, which let that game get out of hand. His last two starts, two and a third, two and a third, 18 runs. Now, nah, that's that's an exaggeration. Not 18 runs, but close. It's not far I, off. Ev, I got to be honest. I don't think he's got any trade value, but I think come Tuesday, you DFA him and just say, see you later. Because at this point in time, I'm, I'm not even joking, like – even if we, you know, sweep the Royals or two games under 500, like, really, we the, the flag has been waved. We are not going to make this magical comeback. And if we do, I'd prefer to see it with some young kids and trying out some different people that we haven't seen rather than watching college Carrasco go blow a game in, in two innings. I, I agree with you. Assuming Verlander is here, Verlander... Quintana, another guy I'd hold on to because he signed for next year. One year, $13 million is a steal. He really is. If you trade Quintana, again, you have to replace him, and you're not doing it for less than one year's $13 million. You're not. So I don't trade him either. So I would run out there Verlander, Senga, Quintana, McGill, Lucchese, and I'd consider Mike Vassell. Vassell has not been great at AAA, but he's close enough to the major leagues where I don't think it would be a rush job anymore. He pitched fairly well at AA this season. He's made a handful of starts at AAA. He's the young guy you give a look to and almost give him the experience of being at the major league level. And for Lucchese and Tyler McGill, it's almost last chance. It's almost last chance theater. And I would keep David Peterson in the bullpen because I think it would be intriguing to just see what kind of bullpen PC can be as an audition towards 2024. I would be, and that's exactly how I'd handle it. If you trade Verlander, now you're looking at another piece you need to add to the rotation for this season. Obviously, this season is not the priority. You are right. Despite winning on Sunday, despite only being six or five games back, lost column wise in the wild card race, the reality is this team is very, very unlikely to go on a run. No, I, I do think they're going to be hot. I think they're going to be hot enough where we start daydreaming a little bit. What are you shaking your head about? I'm such a naive douche, aren't I? No, I, I don't think you're wrong. That's the problem. I don't think you're wrong, but it's too freaking late. I want to drop an F-bomb right there. It's too freaking late. Like, there were so many. It's it's all. It's been this season. It's been the inability to look at the big picture all season and say, we need to be a little bit more aggressive in making some moves because this isn't working. And now we're going to ha- – it has to now happen. We have to say goodbye to some people, which means 
You're going to have to play people that you didn't want to, that they didn't want to, and that's going to be the spark plug. Yeah, and we can't be frustrated if this team does go on a run. We can't be because I think at this point, the Mets overall are probably making the wise decision on this season. I'll keep it at that more so than next season. They are making the wise decision on, you know what? It's very unlikely this team makes the playoffs. The percentages are very, very low that they're going to make the playoffs. You may as well try to replenish the farm system. Uh, but will it? Will there come a point where not having Robertson and even not having Max Scherzer cost this team a couple of games and then being three games out of the wild card race turns into five, six, and seven again? Probably. Probably. I, I as, a, as a diehard fan, and I've always been this way, whether it was the early 90s or the mid-2000s or whenever the Mets have been clearly bad, I always hold out hope. I do, as long as things are mathematically possible. Uh, in our fantasy league this season, I started selling two months ago because my fantasy team was rotten, and I knew it. And I made a trade with Pete. I made a bunch of trades, and I got all these draft picks back. And over the last few weeks, my team's made a run, like an odd run towards 500, which is nuts. And I think back and I'm like, eh, I have no regrets. Team wasn't going anywhere anyway, but it's fun sometimes when you make the run with less expectations. And all of a sudden the Mets have reset the expectations. We can't forget what they were coming into the season. They were huge coming into the season. They were a championship or bust coming into the season. But today on July 31st, July 30th, August 1st, the new expectations are, this is two months of playing out the string. And if all of a sudden that turns into more of a race than we could have imagined, I'd have some fun at least. I will. I would. I'd have a little bit of fun. <laughs> I, I'd have fun. And, and the funny thing is, so you and I would appreciate it more. The people, the diehards that will sit there will, and listen to the Rico every single episode will enjoy it more. But like the casuals, they'll miss out on it. And if we do make the playoffs – Big F you to them. Big, it, to people like us that, that sit there for the last two months of the season that are live and breathe Mets baseball, it could potentially be a lot of fun. I, I'm trying to remember if how often, if ever, I've ever seen a sell-off team make the playoffs. The, the Yankees in 2016 didn't make the playoffs. They sold off Andrew Miller and Aroldis Chapman, and they went on a run, and they made things interesting. They didn't make the playoffs. We are living in a different world because there are three wildcard teams, so clearly more teams make the playoffs. So eventually, not that it will happen this year with the Mets, it likely won't. It's still 90% they don't make the playoffs, 95% probably. But one of these days, we are going to see a sell-off team make the playoffs. It's going to happen. And let me tell you something now, too. So the Mets are, quote-unquote, in sell mode. But it's like revamp mode, right? So we're going to – Scherzer to me was dead weight. He was terrible. Robertson was the only one that we both agree was – you could you he was more of an asset for this team no matter what. That being said, said though, like Tommy Pham, Mark Canna leaving this team, if there is a spark plug from a uh, rookie or someone that we didn't know and they get some playing time, fantastic. But the other thing is guy, teams like the Chicago Cubs who went from about to sell to not being sellers – like, there's teams that did nothing, and maybe they're overvaluing, over-evaluating their team as like, oh, we can make a run with this, and they're not that good. And right. may, maybe that'll be beneficial for us. So I, I will disagree with your point about Scherzer. As much as we all will have a negative taste towards him, he is not dead weight because you're replacing him with, let's say, Tyler Miguel. And Max Scherzer, even in this state, 
is significantly better than Tyler McGill. He is. So we have to be fair about who's replacing him in the rotation. That's a huge drop-off. Same with Robertson, which you acknowledged. Offensively, that could be different. Because if this is turning into an opportunity for Ronnie Mauricio, and Ronnie Mauricio comes up and picks up where he's left off basically all year, whether it was at AAA or whether it was in the winter ball or whether it was in spring training, then they could be significantly better. That's why I've always been a fan of, hey, I'd, I'd want to do a smart sell as the way I worded it last week, which is let me sell off some of these offensive pieces, some of these guys that I think I can replace and not be far worse. So I'm building my system a little bit, and I'm also giving myself that that random hope this team can win this year. Obviously, that hope is almost all but faded. I'll always say almost because you never know, <laughs> even though I'm pretty sure I don't. Uh, let me get to some of your emails here on the Rico B, the Rico Brunia, Rico B at gmail.com. Samuel writes, Billy and Buck don't insult our intelligence. Now that the white flag on 2023 was proudly raised, why in the world did the lineup include Danny Mendick and Daniel Vogelback? Can we stop with this nonsense? Vientos and Mauricio should be playing every single day along with Beatty so we can try to start to evaluate what they are, including whether any are DH capable. This is basic, 100%. That needs to be a thing once this deadline passes. Enough of Daniel Vogelback, enough of DJ Stewart. Mauricio and Vientos should be, well, Mauricio should be up here, obviously, which is step number one. And step number two, Vientos has to play. Kyle writes, if Verlander is traded, which I think is now on the table, this is more of a rebuild than we would like to think. Essentially, having to fill out a rotation is major. We would have Senga and Quintana. That's it, in my opinion. No shot they give Vassal a look, and our depth guys from this year are AAA players. These guys will be pissed if Verlander is traded, and understandably so, since 2024 could be rough and full of unhappy core of players. I don't believe, because I'm going to trust what Cohen has said, and even what Billy has said, that they are not punting, and I hate that term, 2024. The way Epler referred to it, and I thought this was such a BS answer, was the expectations for next year probably won't be as high in Vegas and from the media. Well, who cares? That doesn't matter. Yeah, the Mets are coming off a disappointing year. Of course, the expectations are going to be lower. But the question is, are you going to try to win? Are you going to replace these rotation pieces that need to be replaced. If you go into opening day next year with a rotation of Senga, Quintana, Peterson, McGill, and you know one middle-of-the-road pitcher you add in free agency, then no, you can't have championship expectations. But if you're going to spend big and you're going to try to get, whether it's one of the kids from Japan or it's Urias or obviously Otani or Sonny Gray, whoever you want to come up with, then that's different. That's different. And until proven otherwise, I believe that they will. Dan writes, I'm sure you've wondered the same thing. Evan's worst nightmare for 2023 has happened. And Robertson and now Max are both gone. And this team has become decisive sellers with an eye towards, we hope, contention in 2024, even if that. The trades made sense, if ultimately a little bit underwhelming. Robertson had elite value and we capitalized. The Rangers may have overpaid for Max, but we don't know yet. Profiting off a bad season in some way is better than digging in with the same squad for 24 except a year older. But it's underwhelming because at the end of the flurry of activity the last few days, we still have no starting pitching prospects that we can use in 24. Perhaps that changes by the deadline, but we don't know. 
I can't get that excited for 24. Even if we sign free agent starting pitching that's much younger than Scherzer, Verlander, Quintana, we have no guarantee that McNeil and Marte will play up to their value and that Alonzo, Alonzo and Lindor will stop hitting 220 and that Beatty will develop into a third baseman we need. Even if Verlander stays and pitches like he's been pitching lately, even if Senga continues to pitch like our one or two in the rotation, those question marks for 24 aren't answered. I'd like to get your thoughts on that at the deadline. All right, here are my thoughts on that. You're right. You're right in terms of, I don't know about a lot of guys. When Jeff McNeil is coming off a year in which his batting average is down 75 points, it is absolutely fair to say, what is he in 2024? I don't feel that way about Alonzo and Lindor. They are, despite having, I guess in Alonzo's case, a down year batting average-wise, Pete Alonzo's going to have 40 home runs and driving 110 runs. That's still going to happen. Lindor is likely to hit 30 home runs and driving 100 RBIs. We can argue about where this season ranks compared to last year, but I don't view them as question marks. I view them as almost certainties because they go out and play every single day. But to your other points about McNeil being a question and Marte being a question, you're right. That's why when Epler says the expectations won't be as high for next year, yeah. But that doesn't mean the team can't win. A lot of teams come into seasons with questions. There's no doubt the Mets in 2024 are going to come into the season with a lot more questions from all of us. That doesn't mean you can't compete. They have to, and this is going to be the biggest question, they're going to have to add significant starting pitching. Their starting pitching was underwhelming this year, and they've already taken a step back by the trade that was made of Max Scherzer. Benji Horowitz writes, and I'm glad he brought this up. And maybe this is an off-season pod, but let's touch on it now. I may have put a poll out earlier this morning on X or whatever Elon's calling Twitter these days, in which I simply asked a question, very simple question. I said to everybody out there, who had the better Met tenure, Tom Glavin or Max Scherzer? And as of this pod... We received over 7,000 votes, and it was a blowout. Tommy Glavin has a rare Met victory, 60% to 40% that he had a better Met tenure. Benji's pissed. (laughs) Enough with the recency bias. Scherzer is not this colossal failure you seem to make it. I won't pretend it's this success story either, but my main point is the following. Tom Glavin was so much worse than Max Scherzer that it actually hurts that you would mention them in the same sentence. I'm going to argue with Benji, but I want to get all his points out there because he wrote a nice, good email, and I respect it. Even forgetting that Glavin killed the Mets so much more than Scherzer off the Mets, here are the numbers. As a Met, winning percentage, 690 for Scherzer, 521 for Glavin. ERA, 302 for Scherzer, 397 for Glavin. ERA plus, 131 for Scherzer, 107 for Glavin. Whip, 102 for Scherzer, 137 for Glavin. And he goes through all these numbers, by the way, in which Scherzer destroys him. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but as we all know, I mean, we, we know Scherzer's numbers defeat Tom Glavin. And since you love big games, let's talk big games. Scherzer failed in the only two games I can possibly describe as big. Atlanta and San Diego last year. Let's be real. The Mets haven't played objectively big games this year, so he's 0 for 2. 
Glavin, granted, pitched two really good games in the playoffs, but he was a disaster in Game 5 of the 06 NLCS, and he failed miserably in not just the last game of the season in 07, but he got lit up three times in the 7-up with 17-to-play collapse. Look it up. September 20th, 25th, and of course the 30th, he got absolutely shelled. Neither was good in a big spot, but the overarching numbers are so skewed towards Scherzer that it isn't even a comparison. And also, tell your WFAN producer to read some history. Oh, he's going after you now. To read some history on the worst free agent signings of all time. Scherzer isn't in the top 10. Sincerely, he's going Tommy. Oh, that was he's Tommy. Going, that wasn't he's going you? To Tommy. No, because I think I saw this guy attack him on Twitter as well. Because Tommy okay. put out Max Scherzer, the worst signing in history of Mets. Of Mets uh, worst free agent Mets signing of all his time. And he goes Jason Bay. So I understand that. But, I, but really quickly, I know you're going to yeah, dive yeah. in. I just do have to rebut, rebut one thing. Go. Max Scherzer was here for 42 games. It was a year and a half. Yes, his numbers looked great, but Glavin had a lot more history here. He was here. He did better earlier on, if I'm correct. He wasn't. If Scherzer continued out this contract for the next two years, his trajectory is so bad, it wouldn't have got, it would have got worse. I'm sorry. Yeah. So. The numbers aren't close, and I know that. I didn't need Benji to tell me that, but I'm glad he did because I get it, and I, I understand where he's coming from, and anyone who voted for Max Scherzer would come from. The numbers are not close, but the one big difference in numbers is what you just laid out, and that's the fact that Tom Glavin, and I can't believe this is going to turn into a defensive Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin took the baseball every five days. And he did it for five consecutive seasons. And age-wise, he did it at the same age. Tom Glavin was 37 years old when the Mets signed him in 2003. So he was here at age 37, 38, 39, 40, and 41. He was here for a while. And age-wise, contract's a little bit different, obviously. But age-wise, it was the same thing. It's not like the Mets signed Tom Glavin when he was 31, 32 years old. And Glavin made every start. Tom Glavin had three years in which he threw 200 innings. A different era, a very different era, even though it's only been, you know, 20 years, but it is a different era. I think that it goes back to the old debate. Would you rather have a guy who pitches far less, but is better, or a guy who pitches far more, but is more mediocre? And Tom Glavin was no doubt about it, a mediocre New York Met. He took the ball every five days. He had some good performances. He had a lot of bad performances. He also had a career that was sandwiched with horrific performances. His first game as a Met, opening day 03, got shelled by the Cubs. His last game, final game of 07, he got shelled by the Marlins. But he did, and this is the big thing, Benji. And, and by the way, who was the worst Met? It's actually very close. And I do agree that if you take the recency bias away, I think a couple of years from now, we're going to say Glavin was worse. I do. But in terms of this argument being closer than Benji gives it credit for, Glavin had some good performances in a big spot. Like he pointed out, Max didn't. There isn't one. And to simply say there's only two, here's why there isn't only two. A part of why the Mets sold this year is because Max Scherzer crapped the bed in big spots. Whether it was the game in Atlanta whether it was the game against the Yankees up 5-1 or even the game against the Red Sox a week ago. You could argue if that game against Boston goes differently 
and the Mets win that series in Boston. Maybe they don't sell. I don't know. Maybe that one game changes everything. So I disagree with the point that he's simply 0 for 2. He's a reason why this team was forced to sell players off. I think this argument is better during the offseason because that recency bias that Benji's right about will slowly go away. And let me ask Benji this, and I want him to write me back on this, or we could pop him on the podcast. He seems like a good uh, Med fan. Where's Glavin in terms of free agent signings? Like if we analyzed Tom Glavin, the free agent signing, the years, the money, how he pitched, do we view him as a good free agent signing? Do we view him as an atrocious free agent signing? Do we view him as a mediocre free agent signing? Like, How do we view, it's been 20, 20 years now, well, since they signed him, how do we view Tommy Glavin as a free agent signing? You're obviously right. Max Scherzer and Tom Glavin are not going down as the worst free agent signing in the history of the New York Mets. The worst is a little bit too strong. But time will, I think, give us a better feeling for all of this. <laughs> I do. It it'll, might it'll be, help clear it up a little bit in our minds. It might go down. He might go down as the most chaotic signing. I mean, he was here for a year and a half, and it was the ups and downs of the, this year and a half were pretty outrageous for for even a Mets level. Yeah, I, I also don't think you can look at the numbers twenty and nine, three hundred two ERA, and have that be your guide. It shouldn't be. And Benji watches the Mets. He knows those numbers don't actually represent what he was as a New York Met. There is a lot more context to what he was as a New York Met. We also may view him differently, believe it or not, because I do think the way we view things, it's kind of, it's interesting. The way, the way we end up viewing things sometimes. If Acuna becomes a star, hear me out on this. If he becomes a legitimate star, and that trade is viewed as a steal. You know, Scherzer goes to Texas. Who cares what he does there? Assuming they don't win a World Series. And Acuna next year's up here. He wins Rookie of the Year. And he goes on and has a really good 10-year career. We'll view Scherzer more positively. Because all of a sudden, it'll turn to he waived the no trade. He was willing to move. and Not, not that he'll get most of the credit for it. Cohen will. And I guess to a degree, Billy Epler will. But I do think where this goes from here will also help tell us the legacy of Max Scherzer's time with the New York Mets. But no Met fan has a positive view towards Scherzer. When he comes back as a Texas Rangers later this year, after they play the uh, highlight video, the welcome back video, he will certainly get uh, booed rather loudly. Anyhow, as far as the baseball is concerned, the Saturday night game was infuriating because Carlos Carrasco was so bad that Reed Garrett, by the way, didn't look that bad. He wasn't awful. The Met bullpen actually did a good job until the ninth inning. They're down eight to one, and they kept the game close. You know, we saw Lindor start to get hot, and he built on that into Sunday. We saw Alvarez go deep, which is nice to see. Vientos has looked pretty good offensively. So it was an ugly game, mainly because Carlos Carrasco was just flat-out non-competitive, and the defense was lousy, starting with Vientos. But it was good to see them respond on Sunday. Verlander throws a hell of a game. Lindor with a three-hit game. And that meant a lot to me. And I'll tell you why. Today was my day. Sunday was my day as a season ticket holder to have my son go on the field with a player, which is a, a cool thing that they have for season ticket holders. So Jets asking me, who am I going to get to go on the field with? I said, I have no idea. Last year was Mark Canna. Canna was a great dude. 
and signed him the autograph and told him to try hard when he plays Little League and all that. So this year we get to City Field, and the ticket rep looks at my son and says, well, you're going out the shortstop. And he was pumped up. He was going to get to meet Francisco Lindor. And my son, who knows uh, quite a bit of Spanish, said, I'm going to speak Spanish to him. I said, go ahead. Let's see you do it. <laughs> and he went out there. And apparently, as Lindor got to shortstop, this is what Jet tells me, Jet said to Francisco, I know Spanish. And Lindor's like, that's great. Como esta? And Jet was like, muy bien. <laughs> and then they had a full conversation, which Jet has still not told me about. So I don't know what they talked about. But it was cool to then see Lindor come out and have a three-hit game and hit a home run. So not only does Jet get to meet him, get the autograph baseball, and the Mets win, but Lindor had a really good game. Lindor, f- forget him as a baseball player for a second. And I've seen this long before today, long before the experience my son got. He is one of the most fan-friendly guys I've ever seen. Yankee Stadium the other day pulls up to a kid, hands him a baseball, signs every autograph he could see. He also signs autographs before every game. One of the only guys I've ever seen do this. Uh, it's on the third base line. So if you ever go to City Field, check it out. It's on the third base line. About eight minutes before the game, Lindor will try to sign as many autographs as he can. So take away your opinions on him as a baseball player and the money he's making. This is a dude that puts the kids first. So kudos to Francisco Lindor. And selfishly, it was very cool to see him play as well as he did on the day my son got to meet him. So that was kick-ass. No, that's that's really cool. By the way, I think that like you know Lindor gets such a bad rap for so many other things. On the field, don't get me wrong. Uh, you know he hasn't has he lived up to the contract as far as his uh, you know power numbers, batting average, whatever. Overall, like I really think he's done a great job. Like I really can't sit there and complain about what he's done so far as a Met. He he also comes across, and I, I make clear comes across because I'm not in the locker room to know if this is a hundred percent true. But from what we see, from the way after at bats, he goes right over to Pete Alonso and gets into his face as far as, hey, expect this, expect that. He comes across like the leader of the team. You know, I remember a while ago on your guy's show, Tiki and Tierney, when they asked you who's the leader of the team. And I obviously I work with Tiki now, and it was brought up last week, and I said, the leader of the team's Lindor. I don't think there's any question. He's the leader of the team. And, and over the last few days, and really the last few weeks and months, leadership has been blamed as the reason why this season has gone sideways. I I don't believe that's fair. I don't believe that's the reason. I think sometimes we look for, we look for answers on why things go so badly. And that has been kind of the the main talking point. It's come from a lot of places. You know, we talked about the Steve Gelb's comment from the other day, even Ron Darling saying everyone's not pulling on the same rope. And unless there are specifics to this that has not been expressed, I don't fully buy it. I see a team that's just completely underachieved. That's what I see. I see guys from top to bottom who have had just bad bad years. But I do I do think Lindor is the leader of the team. That's the impression I get. As far as what's next, what's next is the Kansas City Royals. And what's next is that the Mets are five games under 500. And they've got to go to Kansas City and they got to sweep them. And I don't really care who's on the team. I don't care if Tommy Pham is gone, Marcana is gone. They got to find a way to beat the Royals three straight games. They've got Quintana scheduled to pitch Tuesday, which is fascinating because the Mets' next game is Tuesday night, and it is two hours after the trade deadline. 
So if Quintana's traded, he ain't starting Tuesday. And Verlander even made the comment, I'm glad I'm not pitching Tuesday because I don't think he wanted to prepare for a start while also, you know, getting phone calls about waiving his no trade clause. But around here, because I am a diehard fan, I think most people listening are diehard fans, I don't give up until I'm told it's over. So the hyperbolic comments I make as a fan, such as, we're done, we're not making the playoffs, that's opinion. Yeah, my opinion is the Mets are not making the playoffs. That's an opinion. That doesn't mean I stop viewing the Mets in the prism of how can they make the postseason? Because I'm always going to view it that way. So at 50 and 55, with 57 games left in the season, you bet your ass, I'm still watching every game, hoping for that miracle. We're babies of miracles, are we not? We were birthed to learn about miracles, whether it was 1969 or 1973. So I'm not looking at Tuesday night saying, I don't care if the Mets win or not. Of course I give a damn if they win or not. Now, I also want to see them develop young players, so Ronnie Mauricio's ass better be in Kansas City. I read Tommy Pham's not going to Kansas City because he knows he's going to get traded. That's great. Ronnie Mauricio should be on an effing plane to Kansas City because this new post-deadline Mets better feature every young player getting the most amount of at-bats humanly possible. So that means Mark Vientos every day. That means Brett Beatty every day. That means Ronnie Mauricio every single day. Uh, We will schedule a pod for after the game on Tuesday night, okay, no matter what. So, yeah, there'll be some thoughts on the game, but it'll mostly be a post-trade deadline mortem. And the reason I'm waiting until after the game is I – I think it's stupid to record something like that or talk about something like that during the Met game or even before the Met game. Not that we would have time for that. I'm on the air till 630 and it'll give us a few hours to let it digest. So if you're looking for that podcast, it's probably going to be really early Wednesday morning, but we'll certainly put it out Tuesday night after the trade deadline and after the Mets open the series in Kansas City against the Royals. One thing I have to ask you, because you just said that you, you know, you're a Met fan. You, we live off of these moments. We live off of the you gotta believe type of thing. In your mind, what are you counting down right now? Are you counting towards like how many more wins do the Mets need to make to the playoffs? Or are you counting down? Because what's like, it's, there's got to be a magic number somewhere. Is it 40 wins? Is it we have 17 losses left in the season? Like, what, what, which one are you counting towards? Games behind. Simple as that. Games behind. Obviously, you want to get to 500. That's you know priority number one because I still think we live in a world in which you have to get above 500 if you want to make the postseason. But right now, the Mets are at 55 losses. They are six games behind multiple teams in the National League wildcard race. The Phillies are at 49 losses. The Brewers are at 49 losses. The Marlins are at 49 losses. The Giants are right around there. So I am, as a fan, and by the way, I know plenty of people listening saying you're delusional, you're this, you're that. It's not delusion. It's not like I think they're going to make the playoffs. It's that I don't just give up. And I think you made a great point earlier, Pete. If by some miracle, by some fluke, the Mets make the postseason, I'm not one to just jump back on a ship. Like, I'm here. We're on the ship together. We're watching. I also think 
and not to question anybody's fandom, but don't you lose something if you check out for months and then hop back in? I would assume you don't get that same satisfaction of watching a team. But in terms of they got to get to this amount of wins or they can't lose this amount of games, I don't think it's as simple as that. I think it's strictly how many games behind are they for a playoff spot. And right now they've been stuck at six games out in terms of the loss column. And I want to get that bad boy down to three. Because I think once you're down to three, you're in a race. And that's where I hope the Mets can go. But it's certainly not going to be easy. It's certainly not something I expect. I think there's a better chance they finish under 500 than above 500. So trust me, I'm not losing sight of reality. I'm just a stupid fan. That's all I am. So expect a pod Tuesday and a Wednesday. And then obviously after the Royal Series. And even though I'm going on vacation in two weeks, I'll be potting from the beach. Hoffman loves those, right? Go sit by the beach. Talk Mets cubbies. Yeah, let's be serious, by the way. Uh, we, we, someone recommended the, like the drunk Hoff. We need a drunk Evan and Hoff podcast because Done. I think, I think these, these later season games, that's what's going to be happening. <laughs> I, uh, I will agree to that since I'm going on vacation, not this upcoming week, but the week after, and I'm on the beach with the family, there will be a night, uh, whenever the Cubs series ends, I think it ends on a Thursday. Maybe I will, you know what? No, no, no. The series before that. The weekend series that they play in Baltimore. Okay, so I'm, I, I just started the vacation. And I'm actually going Friday. I'm going to the Oriole game Friday. Yank Mets Orioles. <laughs> it's on the way. We're going down <laughs> to North Carolina. It's on the way. Um, Sunday night after the Mets Orioles series, I will uh, drink a bunch of frozen drinks, which I'm going to do anyway. And I will definitely do Sunday night. We can plan it now. Drunk Rico. Are you going to join me? Are you going to drink too? Oh, oh yes, of course. I All think right. I created the drunk Rico. You did. <laughs> it's your baby. <laughs> All right, so we can start advertising it now. One week from today. All right, because we're recording this on Sunday. It's the first ever edition of Drunk Rico. I love it. I'm excited. That's a great idea, Pete. Who's better than you? <laughs> I have no idea. Many people, trust me. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for downloading and listening. I'll be with Tiki 2 o'clock on the fan all week long, or most of the week long, because I'm taking Friday off to go down to Baltimore (laughs) to see Mets Orioles, to go to Pickles Pub, to watch a baseball game, because it's on the way to North Carolina. It's the only reason I'm going down there. Uh, But enjoy the week and enjoy the trade deadline. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.